So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father above has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching And they could no longer see him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you, God. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the witness within us, your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would fill my mouth with your words. I pray, God, that none of this would be me, but, Lord, exactly what it is that you have for every single person that's in this room. We love you, and we love your word. So, Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So, good morning. It's still officially morning. We haven't made it to noon quite yet. Um, So, yeah, Shane and I, we, Pastor Shane, I should reference him as, uh, one of my best friends on planet Earth. He, I don't, I know a lot, we all know lots of people, but when it comes to those who have pure motives and heart, wisdom, uh, intentions are pure, Shane really falls in a very rare category for me. And uh, and so I just want to let you know that, and that is a gift to any congregation to have a pastor who really has a heart to see God's will and the purity of the word uh, protected, um, which requires to have, sometimes have to be a pastor, and that's a difficult thing to have difficult conversations. Um, so I will let you know that it's very easy to get used to having a good pastor is my point. And a lot of times you take it for granted and then we begin to find the idiosyncrasies or the things that we don't like and we find ways to criticize and be critical. I want to let you know, take good care of your pastors if you want them to stick around. Um, and so take good care of the family and make life easy for them uh, because they really are well worth it. And I, I just, I love this church already. I mean, I came in here before any of y'all showed up um, and I was here like 7.30 or something like that. And the volunteers genuinely seem like they're happy to be here. And when you get up on a Sunday morning and you lift heavy things, it takes a special type of leader to convince you that that's a good idea. Um, but no, really, it's, I love this church. I love the people here. Y'all have just made my wife and I feel so welcome. My wife, Sarah, is here. And anyway, we're just thankful. Um, I was thinking back to the last time I was in Seattle. I've been here one time before, and Shane and I actually came up, and uh, we were going to the gathering of some sort, and we're there, and we're, I was going to be checking it out, potentially plugging in the following semester. And uh, when we got off the plane, we went to go rent, get the rental car. You know, typically you're expecting like a roller skate, you know, um, and that's kind of what you typically rent, but they upgraded us to a light blue, almost baby blue Volkswagen Beetle. And so, um, you know, we had to really just check our, our hearts, like, can we be you know, men and still ride around in this car for the whole weekend. And so we did. We had the best time ever. The way I described it, it's like we're Thelma and Louise just going all over Seattle, going to the bubblegum wall and just having the best of times. And so we went down to the sound and uh, we were yelled at by this lady. We just wanted to take a picture of the landscape. And she was acting like if we took the picture, it was going to steal the soul of the, the sound or something. We didn't know. But we got admonished. Yeah, very, very hardcore. Um, rebuked. Rebuked would be the right word. 
Um, anyway, so that's my last time here in Seattle. So this is a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more subtle and laid back. But we've really enjoyed our time here. And it's weird that Seattle feels a lot like California. And I mean that in the best of way possible. I haven't seen one cloud since I've been here. So that's really weird. I was expecting rain. Um, but my wife and I, we lived in San Antonio for 20 years. And about, I guess, close to two years ago, oh my gosh, yeah, two years ago next week, I think, we made the move to a little town called Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is right outside of Colorado Springs, about 15, 20 minutes. And the Lord called us there, and the, after spending 20 years in a place, you know, you've got relationships and friendships and family and memories, and I'd lived there for 40 years uh, total at that, by that point, and but God said it's time to go, and so if you Google Manitou Springs, what you'll find is that we're known for the Manitou Incline, uh, which is a really intense hike up the side of the mountain. Um, it's a 2,000 foot, it's a 1,000 foot or 2,000 foot elevation, 2,000 foot elevation gain in one mile. So at one point, the grade is at 81%. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, so we're known for that, but we're also, our town is known for having these weird spiritual type of roots, uh, witchcraft, new ageism, um, just a lot of interesting spiritual heritage. And so we moved from the Bible Belt to this town where really Christians are the minority there. Nothing like Seattle. This is like the Bible Belt. We all know that. Um, But moving there really caused us to take a step back and go, okay, now we're in a context where, culturally speaking, the idea of what it means to be a Christian and sharing Christ and all these things, we had to look at it from a different lens. And we have learned so much in the last couple of years about what it means to share Christ in a culture that is very, isn't very open or actually opposed uh, to sharing Christ and all that, that comes along with that. And so... In the couple of weeks leading up to us moving to Manitou Springs, between trying to find a place to rent that was affordable because it's very expensive to live in Manitou Springs, unlike Seattle, once again, um, in the midst of packing boxes and all of these things, we were setting up a lot of time to say goodbye to our friends. These are people that we had relationships with, people that we love, that we've done life with, cried with, laughed with, and celebrated with. And, and so we drank a lot of coffee at Starbucks is basically what that boiled down to. And as we sat down with our friends, it's interesting how you kind of just cut to the chase because you know in the back of your mind, this is the last time we're going to be in the same room for a long time or possibly for good. And so it's in those moments where small chat just kind of leaves out. We're no longer talking about the weather. We're not talking about sports. We're not talking about just the normal day-to-day stuff. We're there because we want to say what matters most to us. Many of you, you've had to say goodbye. You've been in similar situations where you've had to say goodbye to a loved one or you've been moving away. And it's interesting how you go, I want my words to matter because I want my words to stick around even after I'm gone. I want them to know what's most important to me as it relates to them. And we did that a lot. And, and there were tears and there were hugs. And then we got in our big yellow rider truck and drove up to Colorado. And I will tell you that as I begin to think about that, I want, you know, there's a, there's a very similar situation in Acts chapter 1 where this is kind of the same thing. What you have is Jesus, he is about to say goodbye to his disciples. And these are 11 guys left. And I can imagine that, of course, Jesus was fully God, but fully human. 
And so he's looking into the faces of these people he's done life with. He, he's, he's laughed with them. He's cried with them. They've had a front row seat to the very things that we can only read about, right? There's a lot of history and things that have taken place in this three-year time in which they were sharing life together. And now Jesus is looking into their faces, and he's about to leave. Because as prophesied hundreds and thousands of years before that, they were like, this man is going to come, and his name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Christos, the anointed one who will come. He's the Son of God. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He will come, and he will bear the sins of the world, and he will die and satisfy the justice of God, but he will defeat death by raising back to life on the third day. He will have defeated the power of sin on our behalf, and he holds the keys to life and death in his hands, and so he has done this now as predicted. And so now he is about to go back to the father and he's going to say something to these guys. And you know, the thing is, is he could have said anything, right? We would be preaching whatever he said here. You know, maybe he would be, maybe you would think he would say, Hey, listen, before I leave, don't allow your hearts to be corrupted by the materialism of this world. We'd go, Oh, that's so good. Going to preach on that, right? The last words of Jesus. Or maybe he would say, always bear in mind the widows and the orphans. Yes, of course. That's, but he doesn't say any of that. And Jesus says in scripture that he never said one word that the father didn't say to say. So he never spoke on his own accord. He communicated the heart of the father every time. He was submitted unto the leading and the leadership of the father by the Holy Spirit So what are the last things that Jesus is going to say to these guys? This is what he says and also says to us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Jesus told these guys, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, shortly after... Jesus ascends into heaven to go sit down at the right hand of the Father. And so if you fast forward a couple of chapters in, in Acts, and if you haven't been in Acts in a while, it's good to go back every now and then periodically because you're reminded of just how this whole movement started 2,000 years ago and how it's ultimately landed to this morning with us. But what's happened in Acts chapter 5 is, as promised, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, maybe you're new to following Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit, you don't quite understand the 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 point of the Holy Spirit or what this really looks like, but scripture says that when we exchange our life for the life of Christ, what happens is God says you are no longer this person. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ within you. And I think sometimes we, because we're performance-minded people, we want to ring the bell. We forget the fact that this is a supernatural act that we have no hand in whatsoever. Even the faith that we have in God has been given to us by God. So we bring nothing to the table. And so when he gives us faith in that moment to say yes to him, there's that saving faith, right? And at that point, we put our trust in him. Scripture says that we become a new creation in Christ and that the Holy Spirit is supernaturally put into us as a seal. And it's, the Scripture describes the Holy Spirit within us as a promise sealed by God to guarantee what is to come, which is eternal life with him. And so what I want to encourage you with, and every time I share this part, it makes me happy because it's not on us to earn our way to God. He's done it all. All we have to do is say please and thank you. 
And the Holy Spirit is within you. So I want to let you know that God doesn't love a future version of you this morning. He, he's not saying, man, if you could just get it right and stop disappointing me, maybe we could do something cool. No. He loves you, and you're not going to have any more God in you when you go to heaven than you do right now. We just forget that we're children of God, and we still see ourselves as slaves. But God has liberated us, and this is why it's called the good news. And for some of you, you're being reminded, even in this moment, of what Jesus has done for you, and we should be joyful about that. And so these guys receive the Holy Spirit. So they've got the witness. They could testify to what they've seen with their own eyes. But Jesus says that's not the only thing that you need. You need the Holy Spirit to also bear witness to these words. So the Holy Spirit gives weight to the witness that these men have. And so they begin to share this story of God's love. And it's no longer this exclusive religion where it's just the Jews who have God, but they're going around saying this is all inclusive. Anybody, slave or free, male, female, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter where you came from or where you live or what your context or skin color or gender is, you can come to God and have a one-on-one relationship with him. Imagine a story like that, and I think we forget that. Because we want to go back to making it exclusive. You got to look this way. You got to dress this way. You got to do these certain things. You got to vote this way. You got to start to, we start imposing this exclusive. And God's like, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, right? And so they're sharing this story like, just give your life to Christ, receive his grace, and you too can receive a relationship with God, right? So they're doing this, and it's catching like wildfire. So in Acts chapter 5, what you have to understand, it's not all roses. These guys who are promoting this message of the gospel are getting arrested. They're getting beaten. They're being ostracized. They're being polarized. They're being accused of things that aren't true. Does that sound familiar? Right? So the gospel has never been popular with people who are very pleased with what they believe, and that's fine, but it seems offensive, And so they're dealing with 2,000, welcome to the club. 2,000 years ago, their early church fathers were dealing with the same thing. And so they get brought before these religious leaders because it was a political, it was a whole system that was being challenged by these guys who say they follow the way. And so they arrest them, they bring them before these leaders, and this is what they say. They say, we can't help ourselves. We can't keep our mouths shut about Jesus. We have seen and we bear witness to what he has done. And the Holy Spirit within us confirms this. And he said, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. And so think about this for a moment. For the last 2,000 years, God's primary method of communicating the message of the gospel generation after generation after generation that now leads to us, this generation, has been through normal, everyday, broken, jacked up people who have chosen to put their faith in this message of the gospel, in Jesus Christ. And then they become empowered by the Holy Spirit to also become witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is for us. We are now witnesses to this truth. And that's it. That's it. 
We complicated beyond this. So crazy. So imagine you and I are sitting at Starbucks, and that's, that's my go-to place. And you know in most Starbucks, there's like the, the two leather chairs, and all the rest of the chairs are those torture devices. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, you know, the hard wooden chairs. Let's say we're sitting in those leather chairs. I call those the blessed and highly favored chairs, okay? That means God's really loving you that day, man. Things are just working out. It's like getting that parking space right in front of the store, you know? So you get in those leather chairs, and maybe we're talking about what did Jesus really mean by being a witness? I mean, how extreme do we have to go? Do we have to put ourselves out there to look like idiots and stupid and weak-minded and be that guy? Or is possible, could it be that Jesus had a different picture in mind for what this really looks like? So maybe as we talked about that, you, maybe you'd say, well, David, tell me about you. How have you, you travel around and you talk about what it means to share Jesus with people. What's your experience? And I would tell you, listen, for most of my life, most of my life, I have overcomplicated this whole thing. I, I have felt largely inadequate to share Christ with people because I thought that I had to have a degree from a seminary. I had to have a theological grid that was just unparalleled, right? Um, I thought that I had to be perfect. And if I'm still struggling in my life with certain things, I'm not qualified to share Christ with other people. I'm just trying to figure this out. Anybody feel that? Any, does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? I was worried that maybe someone who's smarter than me, which is not hard to find, is, would ask me questions that I don't have answers to. Then I'd feel stupid. Right? Maybe, you know, I was, I mean, I began to think about it. I was like, man, I've had friends. I've been a musician, and I've had friends in different contexts in which I've met them. And then they find out that I'm Jesus-leaning, and then they go, oh, why do you hate everybody's guts so bad? You know, and you start getting questions like that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a nice guy. You know, and we feel like we have to defend, and it's just more trouble than it's worth. So it's a lot easier just to invite someone to church and let Pastor Shane worry about it. Right? He's the one who's getting the paycheck. You know, and so so often we outsource evangelism because we get into these positions where we go, it's too much stress. I'm just trying to pay my bills, keep my family together, and not get fired. But then there's Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, no, you will be my witnesses, and you're going to go all over the world and tell everyone everywhere about what I've done. So then we begin to have this internal struggle inside. We're like, then how do I do this? And then be able to maintain some dignity and live within these contexts that I'm in, right? I've discovered that sharing the gospel, let me just, I'm here to make you all feel better today, okay? And yes, I said y'all, I'm from Texas, get over it. But here's the thing. I've discovered that sharing the gospel is more than just stating a set of beliefs and hoping that person agrees with you. It's so much more than that. The gospel, we have to understand, is a transcendent thing. So if we over-intellectualize the gospel, now, now I'm not saying check your brain at the door, but what I am saying is it's supposed to be transcendent. It goes beyond understanding. That's what makes God God. And that, we should, that, that should be celebrated. It's not just ones and zeros. There's a, this mystery of the gospel that is communicated. But we have to understand that we just are not here to get people to join our team. And we reduce it to that. It's not about numbers of attendance on a Sunday morning. This is a life. This is a person. This is not just trying to shove them into a hole to say, agree like we agree, and then you'll be fine, and then God will love you. No, it actually requires us to care about people. And the problem is this, and this is the reality of it. We'll talk more about this tonight, but 
the reality is, is we're just, we're busy people. We got stuff going on. We got, we got problems in our lives. We got health issues and marital issues and financial issues and kids who are out of control and we're doing all these things. And then you get a hyper guy, bald guy from Colorado telling you got, oh, y'all got to share Jesus too. It's like, man, I can't spin all these plates. But what if, if you look at this as you go concept that Jesus is really talking about here, what if as we go through our lives, going to the practices, going to work, going to the grocery store, going to whatever, as we go, we start just simply caring about people with no strings attached. Because I begin to think to myself, you know what, how gross would you feel if someone tried to be a good neighbor to you or they tried to be really helpful to you with an ulterior motive, even if it's a good one? Like, wouldn't that feel gross to you if someone is being really nice to you and they're being this wonderful person, but the real motive is just for you to accept Christ? Now, I know you go, well, isn't that? No. You see, we have to care about people, period. We need to allow the love of Jesus that is supposedly within us to be expressed to someone else because all of a sudden there's a face to the gospel, yours, And then, because we love people from a genuine place, whether they ever accept Christ or not, we exemplify Christ to people from a genuine place. So we don't have this ulterior motive. It's not bait and switch. We're not selling Amway. No offense to Amway. I'm just simply saying it's not selling aluminum siding. We're not here to make contacts, to be able to shove people through the door. We're here as we go to share the reality and the truth of Jesus. And so while it's good to know and study the Bible, it's so good. It's important, right? If you don't apply what you know, then you're only halfway there. So you have a lot of biblical knowledge, but practically speaking, if it doesn't translate to someone experiencing the power and the love of Jesus in their life, then you're only here to feed yourself. And it becomes a very selfish pursuit, my relationship with Christ, when it should be no. If we say that the gospel is the most important message that anybody will ever hear in their life, and we possess this message, and we it is now, it's 2,000 years later, it's this generation, it's on our watch to be able to continue to promote and push this message to the hurting, to the lost. We, get, we have to do that. We have a responsibility to do that. Otherwise, we're just collecting a lot of spiritual calories and reading a lot of great books, hearing a lot of great teaching, going right back into our cars and holding it within us. And it's not optional. And so for me personally, as a witness to the gospel and the grace of God in my own life, if we're at Starbucks, you would say, well, tell me, how did you get here? I would say that I was going to church nine months before I was born, okay? That's how great of a Christian I am. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, uh, <laughs> you're like, who is this guy? Um, my dad was a pastor, and so I was born into church, okay? So I was going to church nine months before I was born. And my dad was a preacher, and, and I was a daddy's boy. And so there's three siblings. I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. I'm the middle child, so that should answer some questions right here. Um, and I know it's messed up, but I was really my dad's favorite. I know you're not supposed to have favorites. I was my dad's favorite. And I just idolized him. I got him. And I remember as a very, very little boy... I wanted to be just like him and preach just like him. And so I would stand in this picture window in our house and preach my face off. This is a picture of me. Yes, I had hair and no clothes. So there you go. Um, I thought about bringing this look back, actually. Um, 
It's just not as charming on a bald 45-year-old guy as it is a three-year-old kid. But that's me preaching. My mom took that picture, and uh, I would preach. I would yell. I would go, Jesus, the Bible. And she'd go, amen, duck. And that was my nickname as a little boy. She called me duck. And, you know, I'd do an altar call the whole bit. And, you know, when the offering plate went by, she was a terrible giver. But here's the thing. I loved preaching. It was in my, I remember doing this. So I would follow my dad everywhere. And so he would take me on trips and I would sit right on the front row and I would watch him preach. And you could take that picture down because it's decreasing any credibility I've got. Um, But I would sit there in my little suit and, and I would watch my dad preach. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. When I was about 10, my family, we kind of entered into a season that we wouldn't ask for or look for, or wish upon anybody. But during the season, when, like I said, I was about 10, my mom got double breast cancer. She was diagnosed with double breast cancer. My dad had just built a new building for the church, and so we just moved into this new facility, and great things are happening. And then during the time my mom is sick, some elders and deacons and some leaders, very close friends of my father's, turned on him. And they tried to get him fired, and they were basically stabbing him in the back. Now, I'm sure my father wasn't perfect, but I don't think anybody deserves to see that happen or have that happen to them. You need to protect what's happening here at this church because the enemy would love nothing more than for all of us to be divided against one another about this or that. Or should we keep meeting at the church or should we have our own building or should we be meeting at the school and, you know, the band? I didn't like this banjo business or whatever it is. And we can start, which I love, by the way. But, you know, we can start really becoming really divided, you know, and we start putting our preferences above unity. You know, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about unity, right? Separate sermon. So here's, here's what happened. So my dad um, was really wounded. And you can imagine you have a spouse that potentially could die and you're losing your church and you're, it was bad. The good news is that over a couple of years, my mom recovered. She's still with us today. Very thankful for that. Um, my dad survived the storm. Those people left our church and went and started their own thing. And so he kept the church and his position, but he was never the same. He didn't quite recover from that. And over a period of a couple of years, as I got into my teenage years, he began to distance himself from my family, from me. And I was daddy's boy, and I didn't understand this, and I began to resent him greatly, and I, I just I couldn't understand why he would do this. And so this idea of wanting to grow up to be like my dad and be a preacher and lead a church began to fade in my teenage years, and I started to feel really isolated Um, struggled with depression, uh, felt misunderstood. I began to hate this man's guts. And and I I hated the fact that I had to even go to church by this point because I felt like, man, it's just full of a bunch of fake people who just smile at you but a stabby in the back. I became very cynical. And my mom and dad are now sleeping in separate bedrooms. And I just would watch him on Sunday morning, no longer adoring him, but I would be the kid in the very back row now. And I would just sit there. I'm like, what a hypocrite. Because I knew what he would preach on Sunday wasn't matching what was going on under our own roof. And I was about 16 at this point, and I, I noticed that for about six, four to six months, my dad had this black briefcase that he carried with him, started carrying with him. At first, I didn't notice, but I noticed that he would sleep with it literally next to his bed in his bedroom. I'm like, that's kind of weird. What is it like? A, is it full of cash? You know, what's in there? Well, one night, I saw him take that briefcase and and he put it in the trunk of the family car. It's the 
Buick, Park Avenue. This is late 80s. And uh, he put it in there, and I thought to myself, you know what? Tonight's the night. I'm going to find out what's in that briefcase because something shady's going on. My gut told me this. So he goes to sleep. I sneak into his bedroom. He's snoring his face off. I take the keys. Now imagine, late 80s, I have a mullet, okay? And amen for that. So glory to God for bad hairdos. So I was backing out of the room, shut the door, took the keys to the Buick, got in the Buick, drove the car two blocks away to Albertson's grocery store, and I took the briefcase out of the trunk, and I sat in the driver's seat, and it was one of those combination kind. And it was, uh, you know, triple digit, you know, three digits on either side. I started at zero, zero, zero. I got 999 opportunities here before this thing's going to open. So zero, 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 one, zero, zero, two. It's not opening. I'm not exaggerating, but around 740 something, it opened. Click, click. And what I found in this briefcase would forever change the course of my life. And if you come to the thing tonight at 6 o'clock, I'll tell you what was in there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I know, we hate you. Go back to Colorado. No. So I open it up, and I begin to go through these all this stuff. I couldn't make sense of it. It It's like receipts and checkbooks and business cards. And I begin to start putting something together. I realized that what was in that briefcase really pointed very strongly towards infidelity on a grand scale. There's a lot more to that story, but my mom... She becomes aware of this. She confronts my dad. He denies it. Then he admits it. He resigns from the church, gets into politics. Shocker. And then, um, sorry. So he gets into politics, and he leaves my mom and my little sister and I completely. Like, wouldn't pay child support. And we didn't have a home to, we didn't know we were going to live, so we get evicted from our house. My mom's 46. She's never worked before. She's a breast cancer survivor. And here, here we are. And I got to tell you, that any remnant of wanting to be a preacher, to do what I'm doing this morning, was literally the last thing I ever wanted to do with my life. And I got to tell you, even though it was a hard season, I felt really relieved because of the fact that I didn't have to wear a mask anymore. I, I loved this idea that I didn't have to go to church and be Pastor Martin's kid and try to live up to the standard that people were putting on me. And worse yet, I didn't want to be around these people anyway because they were all wearing masks. It was all just fake church people, man. And so at 17, my dad left church and so did I. And I, I wasn't going to come back. And so for the next 13 years, I wasn't in church at all. And it was great. Because if that's what going to church means is hanging out with a bunch of hypocrites, I'm not interested. So I never denied God, hated God or anything like that, but I just didn't have any time for church. And so I moved to Nashville, and I met this beautiful redheaded girl named Sarah. We started dating, fell in love, got married. We moved back to Texas. And so December 16th, 1995, there she is. That's when I still had hair. Sorry, hun. I just do the best I can with what I got. But it was a fun ride, wasn't it? Um, and thing was cool. Everything was cool. And so we got, it actually fell backwards into a semi-successful music career. We were able to do it full time and we got to travel and it was great. Um, we had a son during this time, David Jr. And January 31st, 2002, the way that I put it now is that the pen that I was using to write my own story basically ran out of ink. And I'm 31, I wake up with major heart complications, and I can't quite figure out what's going on. This is like 6 in the morning when I woke up, and I woke up my wife. I was like, hun, feel my chest. 
what is going on? I'd never had this issue before in my life. I'd always been healthy. She said, you should probably go to the doctor. And I was like, yeah, I think I am. So I drive to town. We lived outside of town about 45 minutes. I get to the university hospital, go inside, and they hook me up to all these machines and wires, and they start calling me Mr. Martin, which is never good, in my opinion. When they say Mr. Martin, I'm like, who is that? Me? Oh, no. But they said, you have a cocktail of things going on. And we're just trying to figure out which one we want to address first because you're in a very serious situation. And I began to very quickly be able to read the machines and put two and two together. And basically, they all communicated the central message that you are going to have a very bad day is kind of what they were saying back. Everything was in triple digits, if that helps you. You know, heart rate was in triple digits. Blood pressure was in triple digits. And so they tried to bring my heart rate down first, and I wasn't responding. And the way that it felt is as if all of us decided to run up and down these stairs for the next five hours without stopping. That's what it felt like. I'm out of breath. I'm just growing more and more fatigued and tired. And so around 11 o'clock after several hours of this, the doctor comes in. He says, Mr. Martin, here's the thing. He said, you're not responding to any of the treatment that we're giving you. You can't stay like this. You can't, your body can't sustain it. He said, here's one, one of a couple things that can happen. You can form a blood clot and die immediately. You can have a stroke or you can have a heart attack. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back in 15 minutes and we're basically going to turn your heart off and then turn it back on. We'll be back in 15 minutes. (laughs) Okay, that bedside manner is really, uh, okay. So I laid there and I had 15 minutes. It was just by myself and I was looking at this drop ceiling and I was just laying there and I just went, oh my gosh. And this was the first thought that went through my mind. I'm not going to live to see the sunset today. Have you ever thought like that before? Like, like in true terms, like your mortality becomes very tangible and real. It's no longer us in Starbucks talking about mm, the afterlife and what I think. And is it lights out after you die? Or is it this? Or is it that? Or, you know, is it an energy that transfers to some, all that kind of stuff? When you're in an ER and you go, my gosh, my heart is going to stop in 15 minutes. And we're all just going to really hope that it comes back on. What if it doesn't? We all have an expiration date. We're all going to face this at some point, right? And so that day appeared to be my day. What is on the other side of our last breath is what I begin to think. And guys, I got to tell you, I agreed with God. I agreed with the Bible. I would preach it as a little boy, right? I've grown up in church. I've heard these truths and mentally assented to all of them, even agreed that Jesus was the son of God. But James says, James 2, I believe, he says, listen, he says, for you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's being really sarcastic in this verse. He's going, he goes, good for you. Even the demons believe that. What separates us? And in that moment, I realized I knew a lot about God and agreed with God, but I didn't know if I knew Jesus. And guys, there is an eternity's difference between those two things. A lot of people are spiritual and believe in God. And when we share Christ and we're trying to be a witness, we go, they believe in God. We'll just leave it right there. I'm sure they're just fine. But we need to get under the hood and ask real questions. Because agreeing with God and even believing there is a higher power is different than knowing Jesus and receiving his gift of forgiveness and grace only afforded through the cross. So as I laid there, I began to think about my life's purpose. And I realized in that moment that, Music was not what I was supposed to be doing. And the last thing on my mind was church and 
preaching and all that stuff. Are you, that's not, it didn't even enter in. I just thought that we're going to start writing Christian music is actually what I thought we we're going to do. So I prayed and I said, God, I don't want to die today. I have a five-year-old son and I have a marriage that isn't that great. And I don't even know what it means to know you. I don't even know why you put me on this planet. And here I am today. I will have died today having missed my shot. And I said, God, if you can hear me, would you please heal me and give me another chance to know what it means to know you for real and to know what you put me on this planet to do? Please heal me in Jesus' name. Well, spoiler alert, I lived. But in this moment, in this moment, we didn't know, right? In Jesus' name, amen. Immediately, my heart went right back to normal. I couldn't believe it. I felt normal. I looked at the, the, the machines and everything that was in triple digits, went right back down to normal sinus rhythm. Blood pressure's perfect. The doctors come in like three, five minutes later with the paddles, ready to turn me off. They go, oh, Mr. Martin, good for you. You're doing better. What happened? And I was like, Jesus healed me, <laughs> you know? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 sure he did. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, but that put me on a journey. And I'm telling you, you can't outrun God's purposes for your life. You really can't because he'll get you back to where you need to go because he loves you. We started going to church consistently. I was the guy that would show up late and leave early. Didn't want to, didn't want to meet with any church folks. Still didn't have a real big fondness for church people. And, uh, but there's this one guy named Kyle who was a tall Texan insurance salesman. And it's exactly what you, you think. He was the kind of guy that would speak in bumper sticker terms. You know what I'm talking about? He would, you know, uh, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big God is. You know, whatever, that kind of stuff, you know? So we had a million and one of those things, but he liked me. And he became my friend. And Kyle said, I think you'd make a good youth pastor. And I was like, smoke another one. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was convinced. Why? Because I was uneducated. I have no education. I, I'm a washed-up musician. I, 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 had, I'm, I have nothing to bring to the game. And why in the world would I want to subject my family to get back into the very thing that I spent a decade running from? That can't be of God. Well, it was. And God called me into ministry. And I got to tell you that it was a slow burn, but my heart caught up. And I learned that this is what I'm designed to do. Now, you may be sitting here going, not really, Dave. You're not that impressive. But I'm giving you the best that I've got for God's glory. Here's the thing. Over the next 10 years, God healed my marriage with my wife. We were able to not only raise one son, but we had a daughter, Ashley, who's now eight years old. But get this. On my 40th birthday, after 20 plus years of having no contact really to speak of with my father, I tracked down his number and I called my dad because God said, do this. My dad answers the phone. I said, Dad, who is this? Oh, my gosh, really? Your son, Dave. And he's like, yeah, David, wow. Good to hear from you. What's going on? I said, Dad, I just had to get into it because I didn't know if he was going to hang up on me. I didn't know what was going to happen. I said, Dad, I want you to know something. Whatever you think that I've held against you all these years, I release you, and I forgive you. I said, I have learned as a 40-year-old male how much grace I need in my own life. And I want to let you know you and I are good. And I said, you're not going to believe this. Guess what I do for a living? 
He said, what? I said, I'm a pastor and I preach. He's like, oh, David, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's still a little cynical about the church, right? But here's the thing. From that moment, that began a process of even healing the things that were complete ashes in my life. If we had more time, I would tell you that, listen, I used to be the biggest porn addict you'd ever meet in your life. I was a wreck, and this was when I was a minister. So I'm not saying everything was perfect after the moment I received Christ or committed my life to him, but here's what I will let you know. I'm just simply a trophy of his grace, and I'm here to be a witness to what God has done in my life. Powered by the Holy Spirit. And so if anything has touched you in what I've said today, it's because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to what I'm telling you is true. Jesus is real. And he loves me. And he loves you. And so I think that instead of worrying about having to have the answer to every question we are afraid of getting or we're worried about being ostracized or dismissed or marginalized, what if we just simply became witnesses to what God has done in our own lives? And so maybe as we would sit in Starbucks, maybe you would say, David, I just don't even know where to go. I don't know where to start with that. Well, here's what I would tell you. A couple of things. First off, this testimony, this this witness is a picture. It puts a face to what we say we believe. But it requires a couple of things. And so some of you are like, David, I'm I'm, I'm inspired by your story. But you don't understand where I have been and what I've done as a Christian. Like, I, it's a miracle that I'm even sitting in this room because I don't, I, if people knew my real story, they, I, I would be so ashamed and I could never show my face in here again. Can I tell you something? What is the number one th- way that we're, Christians are characterized? People say, oh, they're all just a bunch of. Why? It's because we are. And what I mean by that is we try to whitewash our stories. So what we do is we try to paint ourselves in a light where, man, I was good before I met Jesus, and now I'm even better now that I know him. Right? That's the way we try to portray ourselves to people, and people can, the only ones that we're fooling is ourselves. What if Sound City Bible Church in Seattle was known as the church that didn't wear masks? What if we can begin to just simply be honest with one another because all of a sudden, if we say, you know what, I've come from brokenness because to say you believe in Jesus is to say you were broken. Celebrate the brokenness, not to highlight it or sensationalize it, but it it shows the magnitude and the power of the gospel when you say, I once was this, but now look what Jesus did. All of a sudden, it goes, wow, it becomes real. We're able to relate to that. People around you can relate to that. Now, they may never choose Jesus, but at least be a witness to what he's done in your life. Why would we want to cover up his work? Of course, there's no power in the gospel if we don't show what we've really been saved from and saved to. But some of you are like, David, that's great, but man, I'm just trying to hang on for dear life. And man, I'm just, here's what I want to let you know. You feel like it's over for you. I know what that feels like, but can I tell you something? There's a verse in Hebrews 11 that says the callings and the gifts of God are irrevocable. So that means that you're not in the driver's seat. If God has called you to do something and he's given you the gifts, they're irrevocable. The only reason why you're not walking in your calling and your giftedness is because you've allowed shame to override the truth of God's love for you. Lay it down. It died at the cross. If you've got breath, 
you've got an opportunity to live out your purpose. With that said, where do you start then? Well, I would encourage you to do what I've discovered a couple of years ago. You've got to be a witness to yourself first. And what I mean by that is Eugene Peterson said the Christian life is a Jesus resurrection life, a life in us that is accomplished by the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit. We got to understand that there is a supernatural thing that has taken place within our hearts. We become these temples, these, these houses of God. The living God is within us. For those of us who have exchanged our life and sin for the life and forgiveness of Christ. And so the problem is, is the busyness of life and the challenges of life and financial problems and health issues and kids that are crazy and all this stuff in normal life many times can cause us to forget the power of the gospel in our lives. It happens. So John Piper says we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. So here's what it looks like for me. And if you don't know what that looks like for you, you could totally do what I do. But before, I, every morning before my feet hit the floor, a couple things happen. I begin to thank God. Number one, for the cup of coffee that my wife brings to me to bed. Tell me Jesus doesn't love me. Hot cup of coffee brought to my bed. And so I thank God for the hot coffee and the hot woman that brought it. Amen. But then I really do. I say, Jesus, thank you so much that you have saved me. And thank you, Lord, that you have separated me as far as the east is from the west from my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that I woke up this morning and you don't hold anything against me. That I'm loved by God and able to be fully loved by him. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for what you've done for me. I really encourage you to try this this week. Preach the gospel to yourself before you even get out of bed. Why? Because when we get out of bed, the emails are already lighting up our phone. We're already getting texts. We're already thinking about the 12 things we forgot to do yesterday that we got to get done today. But before you get out of bed, make it a sacred moment where God gets the first of you and the best of you. Thank him for the gospel and what Jesus has done. I promise it will work and it will be a blessing to you. It will change the way you see your life and your day and the way God sees you. And I want to let you know also, you do have a story to tell. How many of y'all would say, David, if I'm being honest, I have kind of a boring story. I don't have a story like yours, right? Uh, Shane, this whole room is clearly full of axe murderers because no one says that. I would love to hear your story. Uh, Here's the thing. We're even afraid to raise our hand to admit that we have a boring story. Why? Because, oh, that, 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 that seems irreverent. I understand. A lot of people, a lot of Christians say, David, I have a boring story, and and no one would want to hear that. I understand that, but what I would say, your story is only boring, is if you're not being vulnerable. The moment we become vulnerable is the moment we become believable. And maybe the challenge in sharing Christ with our people within our circles of influence is because we choose not to be vulnerable. And so people go, I can't believe that person. They seem so nice, but they believe in Jesus. Why? Makes no sense. You see, we think we have to have it all together. And the truth is, is that if we're honest with our stories and we're vulnerable, then God can do something really powerful to that. There was this demon-possessed guy who lived in a cemetery. He encounters Jesus. There's this whole moment where demons are flying out of the guy into pigs. The pigs commit suicide. It's a mess in Mark chapter 5, okay? But what happens is this guy, he's now healed. And so he wants to get in the boat and travel with Jesus. And Jesus says, don't get in the boat with me. Here's what I would rather you do. This is what he tells him. He says, no, go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. In other words, just tell people your story. 
He said, so, so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region. He began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. He just went around saying, hey, this is my witness. The Holy Spirit is in him. So now he's got the witness of God and it bears weight to what he was saying. And so your story, your testimony shared from an honest place puts a face to the gospel, the power of the gospel. I would also tell you to be prepared. And so tonight we're going to be talking about practically speaking, how can we be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, why do we believe what we believe and truly be able to enter into a conversation as opposed to vomiting a set of beliefs on somebody and just hoping they agree. There's a difference. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight. But I love the last part of this verse because it says in verse Peter 3.15 that our job is to answer them with gentleness and respect. So God's not asking you to get into an argument with people all the time. Share your story, but be prepared, and that's your part. And lastly, what I would say, as we finished up our second caramel macchiato at Starbucks, change your perspective. Some of you, you, you feel convicted this morning. You're like, I know I need to be sharing Jesus with people. And some of you, you already have faces of those in your mind that God has put on your heart that you should be doing this with. And you feel bad. You feel condemned. You feel like, here's the thing. We've got to change our perspective. Sharing Christ should never feel like vacuuming the living room or taking down the Christmas lights in January. And so often we go, I know I should, but I don't. And it just compounds the problem. Here's what I would tell you. If we reduce Acts 1-8 to simply a box we have to check, we have missed the whole point. The truth is this. Jesus has given us a great treasure in these earthen vessels. And it's a beautiful story. It's a love story. And we think that everybody has their minds made up about Jesus. That's half the problem. When in fact, most people have never heard the real message of the gospel. And we assume they have. And we assume that they're about to slam us. And we assume all these things about them. And so we are bullied into silence. But let me tell you, when God presents an opportunity for you to become a witness, you have to understand something. He's already been working before you showed up and preparing the hearts. There's someone praying for that person. There's a mother praying for that person. There's situations and alignment that have taken place to where God says, okay, now I'm going to put you into the situation. Do your part. You can't save anybody, and we can't even save ourselves. So we're not there to do God's work. We're just simply to say, here I am. I want to be a witness. And allow the results to be up to God, because that's a supernatural thing that only he can do. So I'm on a plane, like a good preacher always has one of these stories, right? So I'm on a plane, and this is so true. I was sitting next to this man, older man, and he had this big red binder. And I noticed, because when you're on a plane on a long flight, I don't know how many of y'all travel regularly, but you get nosy, and you start watching what people are watching on their iPads and reading and that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking around, and I notice that he's got all these legal documents in this massive binder. And so I said, uh, what, what's, what's going on there? I was, we were talking about cars and just some small chat. He said, well, I've been thinking a lot about death recently. He said, I'm in my late 70s, and I really want to take good care of my wife, you know, and I want to make sure that everything's in order for her. You have a lot to give away if you have a binder this thick, full of legal, you know, th- this, that, and the other. So I'm like, who is this guy? So he started talking. He said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I travel around, and I just tell people what it means to love God and to love others. That's what I do for a living. He's like, oh, this world is so dark, and it's just going to hell in a handbasket. And he's just, you know, going on and on. And 
I, we started talking, and, and he said, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about death recently. That's why I'm doing this. Now, normally, what would we do? We go, oh, oh, well, don't let me bother you. You know, keep signing those documents and wills and stuff, and I'll put my headphones in, and I'll go to sleep, you know? That's what we could, because we're not even sensitive to these opportunities, but God had aligned it in such a way to where I was aware. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, uh, tell me more about that. And then it became a conversation, and here's what happened. He says, well, tell me, tell me your story, because he could, you know, I'm a preacher. Tell me. I said, I was going to church nine months before I was born. And when I was little, I wanted to be just like my dad. I've got one story. That's the only one I've got, right? This is my story. But I began, I was prepared, and I began to share that with him. And he's tracking with me. And then when I got to the near-death thing, he's like, wow. And I said, here's what I've learned. And I shared with him one verse. A lot of times we think we have to quote tons of scripture, take him down the Romans road and this road and that road, just one verse. Romans 6.23 Romans took, I told him this. I said, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. I said, I know that sounds weird. I said, but the way that I understand it is like this. Have you ever been watching TV before and see a child that's been victimized? I said, is there something in you that just goes, someone ought to, that I hope they catch that guy. Someone needs to pay for that, right? How many of y'all feel that when you see injustice? There's something within us that we can't even explain that goes, that's not right. I said, well, here's the thing. We're made in the image of God. And because of that, when we see injustice, we go, someone's got to pay. It's because it bears resemblance to how God sees acts of injustice. He's like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I said, yeah. I said, but here's the thing. You've done things against other people, haven't you? He's like, well, yeah. I said, have you ever lied before? He said, yeah. Do you think it's wrong? Well, of course it's wrong to lie. Have you ever manipulated somebody for your own benefit? Yes, I've done that. Would you say it's wrong? Yeah, I I agree it's wrong. Those are acts of injustice, I said, here's the truth of it. Whether you believe in God or not, you can't even live up to your own standards of righteousness. You break your own laws of what you think was right and wrong. He's like, that's interesting. I said, but here's the beautiful thing, man. Jesus said, justice has to be satisfied. You see, God is love, but he can't be a God of love if he turns a blind eye to injustice. And so what Jesus did for us on our behalf, instead of us suffering a death penalty because of our acts of injustice, Jesus said, put the justice up on me. And he went to the cross and he says, I will take the punishment. And he did that for you and for me. So we don't have this debt if we, unless we just want that debt. Because for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is free. You can't earn it. And I said, so all you have to do is say please and thank you. That's it. Put your trust in this gift and say thank you. He's like, really? I said, yeah. And it comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the giver of the gift. And this is what he told me. He says, I have never heard this story before in my life. He said, I've never heard it put this way before. Come to find out this guy, he and his brother were engineers. And the reason why he's got so much to give away is because he and his brother are the ones who invented the headphones. Personal audio headphones in the 1950s for personal, like audio use. His last name is Koss, K-O-S-S. He's like him. I'm like, you invented the headphones? Are you kidding me? Now, here's what bothers me about this story. Now, I wish I could tell you he accepted Christ. But in that moment, I felt like I did what I was supposed to do. And we were done. But here's what bothers me. He had a massive corporation. He still does. Thousands of employees. And you mean to tell me not one of them said, Mr. Koss, 
can I share with you my story? Can I share with you the story of Jesus' love for you? You mean no one did that? He didn't have any Christians working for him? No, he absolutely did. It's just we were silent. And here's a man who's made it 78 years or whatever it was in the United States and never heard it simply put that way before. We got to change our perspective. And so tonight we're going to talk about how we can do that. And I can go on and on and you can tell I'm passionate and I'm a long-winded preacher, but this really matters, guys, because people are going to be driving by this church every single Sunday. They're going to be, you drive by your neighbors every single day. You drive by those, I mean, you, you have teachers, you have bosses, you have coworkers. And I understand the stress that we are thinking about, man, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? I'm going to lose my job. But at one point, at what point do we take Acts 1-8 seriously? For 2,000 years, humanity has found a way to be able to pass this message on to the next generation, and now it's in our hands. May we never be pointed to as the generation that chose not to share the message of God's love. May it not be on our watch. So if you don't know how to do this, there is a way in which I can show you tonight that's practical and simple and easy. So I encourage you to come tonight. But maybe as you hear the story, you go, you know what? I've never heard it put this way before, David. I thought it was about being moral. I thought it was about stacking a bunch of good stuff in the plus column so God would love me because I'm a good person. Well, you've heard the real message of the gospel today and nothing more than what I've shared with you. This is all you need to know. And so maybe today's the day that you make that decision for yourself. There's no shame in that. So I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Shane or myself or anybody who's a pastor here, and we would be happy to pray with you so that you too can receive the beauty of God's love and forgiveness for yourself. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you, God, for the gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the honor to share it this morning. I pray that you bless this church and those in this room as you open our mouths and our hearts, God, to reflect the truth of what it is that you've done within us through the power of Jesus and his cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank David for teaching us this morning? I'll pay you later for the kind words you said about me earlier, if that's okay. It's check okay, cash, whatever, whatever works. Okay, good, good. Well, let's begin a time of response now to uh, all that David has just unpacked for us and just the really important idea of what it means for us to be a witness. Let's begin to respond to that now, and we'll begin our response time, as we often do, through giving. So if our financial stewards would come, uh, we'll go ahead and start our response through giving. If you're new or if you're a guest here, uh, it would be important for you to know that we see this time of giving uh, as a, every bit of valid response as any other response that we'll do today, singing worship songs, anything else that we do. Uh, giving is worship. In fact, there's a verse that talks about this, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, saying, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a worshipful giver. But if you're a guest, please know that you're under no obligation at all to give. We'd love to offer you that opportunity, but you're under no obligation to do that. Um, But it's certainly available to you if you do uh, decide to give. We'd love you to give with that cheerful heart scripture in mind if you do decide to give, though. If there's questions about how to give, in addition to the baskets that are being passed, there's also there's some information on the screen behind me that talks about uh, the weekly being a source uh, of instruction for that. At the bottom of your weekly, you'll see that. You can also go out to the Connect Desk and ask folks out there uh, all sorts of ways for you to give and participate in this. We'd love to talk to you about that if you've got questions about that in any way. 
Now, in a moment, you're also going to see the communion element baskets being passed. Uh, if you would, if you're a Christian and you're going to participate in the Lord's Supper with us uh, this morning, I encourage you to just take those elements, hold on to those until we get through prayer here in just a minute, and then we'll take those together here in just a minute. And as the elements are being passed, uh, another thing we can begin to, to think through in, in way of response is some discussion questions that we can reflect on throughout the week and maybe some prayer points from David's message uh, for our community groups, for personal study, etc. So these are in your weekly, by the way, uh, but I'll read them for us now as well. Number one, discuss what the sermon helped you understand about the relationship between your own sin and fallenness and evangelism. And are you willing to ask God to give you opportunities to use your story of brokenness to share about the goodness of God with others? Number two, in the sermon we discussed how the moment we become vulnerable, we become believable. And if that's true, then what is it that holds you back from honesty and vulnerability with others in sharing God's story of grace in your life? Number three, some people would say that Acts 1.8 is suggesting that being witnesses simply means inviting people to church. Part A of the question, do you agree with that? And then as a personal witness of Jesus saving work yourself, are you content with occasionally inviting a non-Christian to church instead of sharing the story Jesus has written for you to share with others? Number four, what specifically is God asking you to do with what you've learned about sharing your faith in Jesus this morning? And I encourage you to share those answers with your accountability partners or community group or other Christians that you know. And then number five, are you willing to invest an evening to learn how to be a better witness and how to better share your story of and God's story? Yes, this is another shameless plug for you attending tonight at 6 p.m. at the church offices, which you can still get registered for. Now, a couple prayer points to get you started uh, based on the message today as well. Number one, pray that God would grow us individually and as a church in transparently sharing our story of God's grace in our lives with others. And then number two, pray that God would regularly give you opportunities, organic opportunities, uh, to be his witness in your family, neighborhood, city, workplace, and beyond. Now, we're also going to respond through our taking of the Lord's, or of the Lord's Supper this, this morning. Uh, and The Bible speaks of the Lord's Supper of communion as a memorial meal, a remembrance meal for all Christians. The bread reminding us of Jesus' body broken for us and the juice reminding us of his blood that was shed for us. And the scriptures give us instruction in this as well. And I'll read just a little bit of this passage of these instructions from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, it looks like most of you have the elements by now, so let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in song. And then uh, as we respond in song, I'd encourage you to take the elements as you see fit as well. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for David, for his teaching, for his friendship to me, and now his friendship to your people here at Sound City as well. God, I pray that you would bless his ministry, protect his ministry, protect his family, and let their witness and ours bring glory to your great name. Father, thank you for this encouragement to be part of your saving work in an increasing way here at Sound City let us be a church, Lord, that increasingly grows in boldness and sharing our stories of grace and your story of salvation and redemption as well. And we pray all of this, God, through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.